Hello and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I am your host for today, Michael Martin, and I am joined by Joe on the road, Joe Masato. Joe, how's it going on this uh, giant road trip you're on right now? The road trip has been awesome. Um, obviously, tons of good games, tons of cool venues, like starting out Madison Square Garden, then going to the Boston Garden, now called TD Garden, whatever. Um, and uh, we're, we're, oh yeah, Washington D.C., where Shea hit a. Uh, a game winner and now here in memphis i'm going to be on the search for barbecue for lunch and then i'm gonna go see shay and john morant so you can't beat that no you can't so i wanted to ask you what's your biggest takeaways from being up close and personal with this team on this big road trip because there's a lot of things that you miss when you're just watching on tv that you probably caught in person being around the team i think everyone has seen what shay has done um and the numbers and the shot but like just the way he's the confidence in which he's carrying himself this year I've said this a lot but it's just different this season it's like he we can all see he has arrived and he knows that as well but not in like an arrogant way just in a way that I think exudes confidence and helps his teammates and um, he's not the most vocal guy but he's clearly the leader of this team and just the way they react to what he does and um, the, the the way they're talking about him. I, I think this group is pretty close. Um, it's a unique team, given how young they are, and I, I think that helps them, uh, you know, have some team chemistry as well. So that's probably the main thing that's struck me on, on this road trip. Nice, yeah. You definitely have a tentpole guy to build around in Shea, and just confidence is everything for a guy like that, and just a superstar in the league. Of, you know, shooting is one thing, driving is one thing, but. When you're playing with that much confidence, anything can go in playing at that level. And uh, I just also wanted to ask you about, you mentioned Madison Square Garden, TD Garden, you know, the uh, playing in D.C. What was it like in the arena for a lot of those games? Well, Madison Square Garden should be on the bucket list of any NBA fan because it's an incredible place. It does not matter how good or how bad, often bad the Knicks are. It is jam-packed and it was packed at you know noon on a Sunday so um, the commonality between uh, Boston and New York is that the fans are just so educated about basketball and uh, easy Thunder fans I'm I'm not throwing any shade but like they've been watching basketball for a long time now Um, and especially in the garden like Shea's going off like they they just appreciate good basketball and I think they realize where the Knicks are and they were like super hard on the Knicks I mean they were getting booed off the floor um at the end of the game and I was like oh my gosh this is this is crazy but it's probably not even a big deal in New York Boston was probably the loudest game I've been to this year um obviously they're they're rolling coming off in uh NBA finals appearance and that was just a super fun game I mean the Thunder made them respond and and made them claw back and i think that only enhanced the atmosphere that place was packed washington the total opposite i love washington dc but man oh man there was like no one there the probably the smallest crowd i've seen all season um and not very loud but then at the end it's electric when shea hits the shot he gets mvp chance from the road crowd as he's leaving the floor um, a lot of Thunder fans were there. Um, obviously, D.C. has a lot of transplants from all over the U.S., um, so I assume there were some Oklahomans there as well, but it was pretty special to see. Absolutely. I mean, Shea was incredible, but 
I'm I'm definitely jealous of you getting to go to some of those uh, venues. Maybe one day, but Madison Square Garden that's that's awesome. TD Garden, just getting to see some of the history around the arena, and then you go to the state capitol. That wasn't the only thing that guys did in the state capitol, though, as they went to or to the uh, nation's capital. I apologize. <laughs> Not the state capitol, but they went and visited uh, the White House. Uh, what did you see in that, or uh, what did you hear about that? Yeah, so um, I, I was not able to go to the White House. They were going to have a press conference on the South Lawn. Kind of, you can picture when the you know president comes in on Marine One, the helicopter, and lands. It looks like the middle of the field, but that's where they were going to have the press conference. But it was super cold and rainy, so that was called off. But Talking to the guys, I mean, it must have been. Obviously, it's a cool experience anytime you can go into the White House, but it was a, a unique experience for this Thunder team because the way for an NBA team to get to the White House is to win an NBA title. The Thunder did not win an NBA title last season, um, but they created this really cool program called Thunder Fellows, and we've written a lot about it. They made an awesome um, documentary about it, the Thunder did, um, called Seeds of Greenwood, and that was actually a portion of that was shown in the White House. Um, so it's basically a, a program in Tulsa for black high school students, an after-school program, basically to raise the next generation of black Wall Street and revitalize the Greenwood district. Um, and the work they're doing has been recognized, and they were able to meet with some White House staffers about criminal justice reform and education and health care and um, as well as getting a tour. So I, th I think they were all um, just, you know, pretty, pretty amazed and honored by the whole experience. How do you think that exactly came about? I mean, obviously, they're doing great work with Thunderfellows and the Seeds of Greenwood. But then getting to the White House, I know that's probably not the easiest place to get access to is what I would imagine. Yeah, I don't know exactly how it worked. Legit. But I, it does all stem from um, the documentary and just starting the Thunderfellows program. Uh, obviously, I'm not, you know, intimately aware of what other teams are doing uh, on some of these subjects. But this seems to be an outlier and in, in a positive direction as far as a, a team and an organization creating a program like this. So. Um, I don't know, a lot of people in the organization probably know a lot of people and, and they hooked up and, and were able to make this happen while they were in D.C. Did you have a chance to talk to any of the guys from the team about their experience there or what they thought about it? I saw all the pictures on social media. I know some people were pretty surprised. It was the first time they saw Mark Dagnalt in a suit. So anything you heard from the guys? For, for those people, I'll say go look back at uh, – Billy Donovan's last year in Oklahoma City when they were still wearing suits and Mark Dagnall was on the bench as an assistant. And you can find uh, uh, some OKC Blue photos, the same as the head coach back when suit and tie were, I guess not required, but uh, certainly encouraged. But um, we did talk to Mark about it. Um, we talked to Lindy Waters, Aaron Wiggins. Um, that's about it in person, but the Thunder sent out um, interviews with Will Dawkins, Vice President of Basketball Operations, um, who was with them, and, and really every, I think every member of the traveling party went. Um, and they, yeah, I mean, you could, you could just tell, you know, how cool it was listening to their voice. Yeah, and talk about an experience for those uh, guys and just something that can hopefully bring the team closer together than something that can be a bonding experience for them going forward as an extremely young team. 
I my my favorite part was the uh, Isaiah Joe and Kenrich Williams selfies with uh, President Obama, um, and uh, oh man, I'm, it was uh, who was this? I forgot who posted it on Twitter. It's like a uh, Hunter Hunter Hard Joe, I think. Um, I hope I'm getting his name right, but he he uh, like embedded a clip of Shay's game winner like on that picture. Oh frame yeah, of, like Isaiah Joe pointing to it, um, and I thought it was like a, a very niche Thunder meme right there. I've seen that. I've seen Shay's uh, step back in the Louvre already. It's been <laughs> it's been fantastic. But we'll get to that game right now. The Wizards uh, versus the Thunder in DC. The Thunder win one twenty one to 120 over the Washington Wizards. Shea ties a career high with 42 points. None bigger than that step back three to ice the game and win it. And you could see him, as uh, we talked about before with the Milwaukee game, where he knew exactly how much time was left, threw up the one and said one stop. What was it like in the arena for that shot and that Shea performance? Well, I, I mean, I was standing up from my... So in Washington, they have us basically on this elevated platform above the Thunder Tunnel, and we were on the opposite side. So I'm standing up trying to get video, knowing that, hey, they're, they're, like we all know who's going to get the ball here, uh, or or at least we think we know, and I want to capture this moment. And Shea's been known for clutch shots that, you know, the uh, I Am Him original game and against the Lakers last season, the game winner against the Clippers, the would-be game winner against the Bucks this season just a week ago. Um, so, I mean, at this point, are we surprised that it went in? No, but it's still kind of a, just an insane moment to capture. And then him coming off the floor, I couldn't quite tell what he was doing. I kind of thought he was like pumping his fist or just getting fired up, but didn't realize he was just saying one stop, one second left, one stop. And they were all thinking about that Milwaukee game, the second Milwaukee game that went to double overtime, of course, um, when Lou Dort fouled Brooke Lopez, sent him to the line after Shea's, you know, insane step back against the Bucks. Um, so, you know, Lou Dort talked about how he learned from that experience. He was like, I think they called a foul on me in that Bucks game because I turned around. And he said, this time, I'm just going to put my hand straight up in the air. And that's what he did. Um, and that's all he needed to do. That sealed the win. So uh, just to to sort of see the just how things change in one week and almost being put in the same exact situation, Shea hitting a similar shot, but this time they come out on top was pretty cool. Yeah, very nice for the development of this team to see they instantly learned from their mistakes and responded in a, another game, this time on the road, which was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Um, Shea was just incredible. He carried them all night in some minutes where it looked a little bit lean and just looked unstoppable at times. I mean, that's the words. Uh, unguardable, unstoppable, wh- whatever. I mean, he is. I'm not saying he's a top five player in the NBA. He's not. But, I mean, we can't rule it out in the future. And he's playing like a top five player right now this season, like numbers wise, efficiency wise. Um, how he's. I mean, just look at the on off numbers. I, I did it. I don't think it's posted yet, but the Thunder has the equivalent of a top 10 offense when Shea is on the floor which is crazy given that the Thunder's been at or near the bottom the last two seasons in offensive rating. When he's off the floor, their offense isn't 
quite Sixers process Sixers level bad, but it's almost there. Like that's how much it swings when he is on the floor. And then not only that, but what he's doing defensively with the blocks and the steals and just the, the all out effort on that end. Um, he's, he's playing at a ridiculous level. I, I think, you know, barring some horrible injury or uh, some horrific cold spell, he's almost going to be a lock for the all-star game to be a first time all-star. And if he keeps this up, I don't think all NBA is out of the question. I don't disagree at all. I think all NBA is probably the ceiling, but he's right in position and playing at a pace like that, that would put you in the all NBA conversation for one of those top three teams. But he's just been awesome. Um, there were parts of the early season where I was like, well, is this just a hot stretch or is this just who he is? But just he keeps showing off evidence that this is just who he is as a player now. Um, I mean, he's been great. He's shooting around like 50, 40, 90 for the season, even though he missed a few free throws last night, which he had that joke about that he wasn't going to shoot any more technicals. Was that it? Yeah. Yeah, he said that, and he was going to shy away from contact. And they, uh, we asked Mark about it, and he was like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? So it, he's to the point where he's reached such a status that you can joke about the flaws in his game because there are so few of them. But, yeah, I mean, what are you seeing from his – we, we talk about sustainability. If he sustains this, he's a shoe-in for All-NBA. And the reason that All-NBA is the ceiling, as you said, is that sustaining this at least seems it's not impossible, but quite improbable, just this level of efficiency. Um, what are, are, are there some warning signs that you're seeing that it's not sustainable? Or just what are you seeing in his offensive game? That's the scary thing is it all looks sustainable. He's the first, well, outside of this stat that I saw, he would be the first guy to average 30 on 50, 40, 90 since Steph's uh, unanimous MVP season. So that seems like a bit of an outlier that would be the only two seasons in NBA history. So maybe the the three-point shooting will probably be the one that comes down, but... I don't see a reason why he can't be a 90% free throw shooter or at least in the upper 80s. He's going to shoot close to 50% or over 50% from the field just based on the mid-range shots and him driving to the basket. I don't know. Um, maybe the numbers will come down just because defense will uh, will just load up on him even more and just say, Shea's not beating us. Josh Giddy and J-Dub and Lou Dort, they're going to have to hit 10 threes a game to beat us, but it's not going to be Shea. But he he looks every bit the type of all-NBA player that people and fans would hope for for the Oklahoma City Thunder going forward. Yeah, that's why that Boston game was so big, right? Because they they have the personnel to defend him and to bother him, given their length and athleticism. And not only that, not only the one-on-one personnel, they were doubling him um, in that game. And, I mean, just look at all all of the uh, defenses teams are throwing at him. I mean, we've seen every... They were from, from a box and one to trapping him to doubles to, you know, all sorts of things, blitzing him, just trying to force the ball out of his hands. And he just, you know, slithers right by, slippery as ever, getting to the rim, um, kicking out. Like, going back to that Wizards game, just the – I think he is gaining a lot of trust. He already has trust with his teammates. But when he's, like, kicking out, on two threes to J-Dub, Jalen Williams, um, when he's got it going like that and, and trying to find open shots for those guys, like in pivotal moments of the game, like that fourth quarter, I think that's really big. 
Yeah, you mentioned it. He's not shying away from the moment, but at the same time, he's not so overconfident or I don't even want to say selfish to the point where he's not trusting his teammates to hit those shots, and they're rewarding him in the last couple of games. J-Dub was huge down the stretch in Boston, even though they didn't come away with a win. Uh, Poku was pretty good that entire night, and you had a lot of other guys putting in uh, big numbers, but Shaves has been incredible. and It feels like we're just repeating the same things, but it's, we're just running out of nice things to say about Shea with the level of basketball he's playing at currently because he's just been awesome, and it's nice to see that now he's sort of getting some national media attention about it. I mean, I was watching the Boston Celtics broadcast for the Thunder game, and Brian Scalabrini was talking about the fact that when they doubled him, as you mentioned earlier, the Celtics don't double anyone. So that's about mm-hmm. the biggest compliment you can get from one of the best defenses in the last decade. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really good point, and just to just to tie this up, I mean, the numbers are so loud: thirty two point three points per game, five point nine assists, four point five rebounds, uh, almost two steals per game, one point nine, and then one point four blocks per game, um, three point three turnovers. I mean, that's a career high, but with his usage rate, that that's not a problem. Also, his assist rate is double that. Uh, almost double that and then shooting 55% from the field and 40% from three and um, some ungodly percentage from the line, 91%. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah, he's already up to his 10th 30-point game of the season. That's more than Devin Booker, Damian Lillard, and Zach Levine combined. And those are those are pretty good scores. Pretty good scores. Yeah, those are the guys who you think of whenever, you know, Devin Booker Lillard, is... Levine, and who else? Oh, Booker. Booker, okay. Damian Lillard, Zach Levine. Levine's definitely a professional Bo- scorer. Damian Lillard has dropped 50 multiple times, including on the Thunder. Devin Booker had 70. I'd say that's pretty impressive for Shea to be number one and have more than all those other guys combined so far, even if it is early in this season. They said in the, he's had his 10th and what he's played in 12 games. I think he missed one or two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Booker has turned into a pretty good defensive player, um, or, or at least, like, passable for a star. Obviously, we know Dame's defensive limitations. Zach Levine, ups and downs, but more downs. Um, so just putting this into context, like, he's, he's doing it on both ends of the floor. Shea is. And then um, one thing I want to talk to you about is the mid-range game from some of these guys with the Oklahoma City Thunder because Shea has made a living there. Poku's been really effective there. Kenrich Williams has been effective this season. So I wanted to ask you, you know, do you think this is something that they're being coached on, something these guys are just taking in their own hands? Because we've seen in the modern NBA that's been cut out of the shot diet for many teams is the mid-range shot, and it's been all three points, uh, layups, or dunks so far. Yeah, I don't think it is something that Mark Zagnall is stressing by by any means. I, I mean, they know. I, I think the shot profiles they're trying to get is what most teams are trying to get at the rim and behind the three point line. Um, and Shea's game is sort of a perfect example of that when he is driving to the rim and then he can kick out. But what you're talking about is the mid range is back in his game, and he he almost went away from it last season. I mean, I remember uh, him coming in on that. That CP Schroeder SGA team, those were like mid-range maestros. I mean, they were. Uh, I mean, Chris Paul is like the the all-timer at this, right? Like, 
he, he gets a big and drop coverage and then he just pulls up from the mid range. He's got that patented elbow j- jumper. Um, and I have no idea if this is a result of playing with Chris, but I think it's just Shea's evolution as a scorer, knowing how much pressure he puts on the rim. And when he's shooting it like this, like we talk about the inefficiency of mid range shots. Well, some of the best scores and some of the best shooters, it is an efficient shot for them. Um, if it's going in at, at the right rate. And I think like Shay, you're you're totally comfortable with him taking that shot. I don't think the Thunder is hunting that shot by any means. Um, but I, I, I think they're just trusting Shea with the ball in in his hands. Well, and especially in this new NBA where it is all threes and layups, it stretches these defense so far. Um, I know this is a basketball podcast, but relating it to football, you see it with guys like Tyree Hill where they stretch the defense so much and then you have some mobile quarterbacks or running backs that it's just like the entire middle of the field is open. And for so long, a lot of these defenses and these coaches have been teaching these players like the mid-range shot is the shot we want to give up. But now whenever you have a team like the Thunder who can hit that shot, it kind of just throws a monkey wrench into their plans. Yeah, so Shea is shooting um, so from zero to three feet. Uh, obviously not mid-range, but at the rim. He's shooting 74%, which is absurd. 3 to 10 feet, 47%. And then 10 to 16, which is pretty much what we're talking about, 55%. So the uh, the percentages are, are certainly there. Josh Giddy is 53% from 10 to 16 feet. Trey Mann's 53%. Um, yeah, I mean they're they're certainly getting um, into that range. I mean, Giddy's got the floater going, and that that's kind of his go-to down there. But it's it's been impressive. Yeah, I love the floater. That's one of my favorite shots. That's something I hope that Lou Dort can add at some point. But love that from Giddy as a guy who it's like not as necessarily explosive getting to the rim or somebody who's ready to finish through contact at a super high level just being his second year. But the floater is definitely the easiest way to kind of get around that and especially if you can get the floater going when you're a guy who plays in the pick and roll as much as him, you can be extremely dangerous. Yeah. I mean, who would be a good shot for Lou Dort to develop? I mean, his, his, I think we just have to be patient with his offensive game and sort of what he's getting to still trying to figure out his shot profile, but he's played better lately. I think Um, the, I mean, the influx of corner threes right now for him after taking like none early in the year. Um, we're still early in the year, but he's he's definitely getting to that spot more. Yeah, so I'm going to hold off on expecting a, a heavy diet of Lou Dort floaters right now. We'll see. Yeah, but uh, I <laughs> spoke to Barry on Tuesday. It was about it was before the uh, Wizards game and that Lou Dort was four of nine on corner threes since we had that conversation about sort of the Dort dilemma of him not taking enough corner threes. So no complaints about that. He's been awesome from the corners and been really effective, which has been nice and really helped the offense. He's been a much better offensive rebounder because of that, because he's in a better spot on the floor just to rebound compared to if he was towards like half court where you got to prioritize getting back. So I think all around it's been a nice adjustment to have him more towards the corners where you want his shots and he can be on uh, productive on the boards. So right now the numbers aren't pretty, but I, I have to look back. He started, I think one of 10 from the corners uh, on threes this year. So an outlier, he's a better corner three point shooter than that Lou Dort is. 
Um, looking right now, so 17% of his three-point attempts have come from the corner per basketball reference. He's only shooting 29%, but like I said, he was shooting 10% uh, on his first 10 attempts. So that has certainly um, normalized a little bit. Um, don't know what his uh, – haven't sorted by the last however many games we would want to sort by, but it's definitely on the upswing. Other guys – want to point out Darius Baisley hasn't played in a few games but he's shooting 50% from the corner JRE shooting 46% um, Trey Mann 44% Poku 43% by the way Poku leads the team in dunks I know we're getting off track here but I just uh, just wanted to point that out yeah he, he has 10 dunks this isn't a very it's not a very dunky team no I, I didn't think about that that's surprising but I can't think of anybody else who would have more dunks I think he's also like top 10 in blocks right now or something insane like that I think that's right yeah he's just been awesome too he was incredible in that Boston game that Barry and I talked about a little bit what was it like in person for that the Poku experience so the Poku experience is always wonderful but I enjoy it on the road most because you're sitting around other folks who obviously cover the the, the home team so sitting around some Celtics reporters, like unless you're, there's no reason for anyone to to watch the Thunder on a near nightly basis, much less uh, every game. So you only know perceptions of things. Like Poku is known for his shacked in a fool moments and throwing the ball to the 14th row. I think I change the number up every time I say that. And, you know, slamming it off the backboard and stumbling around and Poku being Poku. That's what people expect to see. So when he has such a good game like he did in Boston where he's being a rim protector, he's making three-point shots, he's um, just looks like a competent NBA player, everyone's kind of looking around like, this Poku? Like, I, I didn't realize he had made this improvement. Um, so... Yeah, that's always that's always fun to see on the road. He's, I, I mentioned this in the uh, uh, on-off numbers piece that I have coming out later today, and I said I haven't always been the biggest Poku guy. Maybe I've been one of the lowest, and I was definitely wrong about his long-term chances of becoming an NBA player because I think he's there. So I say this: everyone can see the improvements Poku has made this year. Um, the numbers really don't bear that out and it's still so early um for for lineup numbers um i'm pulling it up right here okay so the thunder's being outscored by 7.3 points per 100 possessions when poku plays when he sits the thunder is outscoring opponents by 5.4 points um so that's pretty drastic i mean basically they're a plus seven when he sits and a minus five when he plays. So a lot of it is who you're out there with. Um, but I'm just, I don't know. I don't know what to make of those numbers. Yeah. I mean, it's still early, but I think the eye test is the biggest thing, which the eye test is not everything, but he just looks like a completely different player. I mean, if you just threw out the tape and showed somebody, I think Mark had the quote about an alien spaceship with Poku early in the preseason. But if you just showed people tape of just this season and they cut out their perceptions from the years before, I think that people's expectations for Poku and perception would be very, very different. You know, the point I want us all, <clears throat> excuse me, to get to with Poku, I want, there's so many Poku 
defenders. And and I again, I was totally wrong, but it's like everyone was pointing out his flaws and because of that there's been this I don't even think it's an overreaction because he has been so good this year, but it's not like every single good thing he he does we just uh glamorize it to the nth degree and I think the next step for Poku is just to become a solid player to where we're not like I mean maybe we're always going to talk about Poku maybe I'm being naive but it's just like we talk about him differently than any other player on the roster I think he's just he's just so polarizing for so many people because there's (laughs) some there's a segment of the fan base where it's like I do not like watching Poku I don't like seeing this this is not fun I don't like seeing this guy who's just random and he, you know, doesn't know what he's doing on the floor. And there's another segment of the uh, fan population who is like, I so badly want this to work. I want Poku to be like one of the core pieces of this team's future. So I don't know. I think that this is just kind of the byproduct of his style. It would be nice to have him just be looked at as a regular NBA player. But I think that we're a ways away from that. Yeah, you're probably right. And see, I'm somewhere in between. It doesn't matter to me one way or the other. I mean, I want to watch good basketball and write good stories and all of that. Um, and Poku is, is a great story, but it's it's just like uh, the expectations for this guy were so outsized and probably unfair for a 17th overall pick. Like, he comes in and everyone's just like, oh my gosh, Poku. And like, no one, no one talks about a 17th pick like that. Um, and then he was maybe the worst NBA player uh worst player in the league his first two seasons or or at least down there and now he is he's different he's totally different he's um the energy and like motor stuff that mark dignall kept talking about with him the last couple seasons that's not happening anymore um he's obviously become more efficient with the shot he's like finding his role within the offense so um for all for all the poku truthers out there um, I, ra- I raise a glass to you. Yeah, there's a lot of, like I mentioned earlier, good cop, bad cop with Poku, where there's some people who it's like, you know, look at all these improvements, look how much better he's playing, this is awesome, you can't, how can you not see this development, he's just so much better as a player, he's really developed skill-wise in his body, and then the bad cop side of people are going, yes, he's playing like an NBA player now, after he was drafted number 17 into the NBA with two seasons under his belt, so... It's just kind of back and forth and just in the eye of the beholder. But you're not the biggest Poku guy. It seems like you're turning around. I am one of the people who badly wants to see it work just for some fun. I think it's exciting (laughs) just to have a a wild card, to have one guy who it's like a magic eight ball who comes out there before every possession, shakes the eight ball and sees what he's going to do. Well, like there's no pressure on Poku anymore. There was pressure on him in the beginning when... I mean, they didn't have this collection of talent and and young players that were actually going to stick in the NBA. But now, I mean, of the guys picked before him, you have Chet Holmgren, you have Josh Giddy, Jalen Williams, Usman Jang. So it's like Poku, I'm not saying he feels like this, but he could look around saying, hey, those guys all have more pressure. They The Thunder invested more in them. Um, I'm not, I don't have to be that savior anymore. Um, and I, I just imagine like, not only that, but coming over here when he's like 18 years old, 19 years old, um, from Serbia, lived in Greece a, a lot of his teen life, um, and then coming to Oklahoma. So adding adding the, all of that into it, um, 
I think I underplayed the the age card with Poku. I can't wait till he turns twenty one though, and it's coming up soon. I, I am gonna circle this date on my calendar. You and Poku. December twenty sixth. We can remember that easy. Uh, and then we can we we can stop saying, "Oh, he's just 20. I'll be like, "Nope, he's twenty one." Well, we'll tell him at the press conference. Drinks on Joe. You, me, and Poku <laughs> going out to Brick Town, just on the town, hanging out. That'd be fun. But um, <laughs> wild time. Definitely a wild time. And then you uh, mentioned Joe earlier about some of the on-off numbers with Poku and some of the bench units. A big conversation I wanted to have with you is about. Um, not just Poku being benched in the third quarter, but Josh Giddy as well, because this feels like it was a problem that was fixed a few games ago, and now we're kind of back to these long stints without him in the lineups and games. You know, why is this happening? What does it mean? I, I understand. I think most fans can wrap their heads around him not starting in the second half because they want to try a different unit to start out the third strong, but him just not playing at all whenever he's one of your franchise cornerstones seems problematic. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I would go as far as to say problematic, but it certainly does raise questions. The, the my my only pushback against that is Mark Degnault undoubtedly has a better pulse on the locker room and, and the team than we do from from the outside knowing how Josh is going to to react to that. And to Josh's credit, he could easily come in and throw a fit and say something to us of, you know, the guys complain about minutes all the time and and being benched. Um, and this is a guy that, you know, has started every game but doesn't always start or even play in the third quarter. So it's very curious. I, I think it's simply Mark is playing the hot hand this year and playing the lineups that work. And like that unit that, that started the third quarter in D.C., it was rolling and he stayed with them. Josh wasn't playing very well. Um, Josh played great. At Madison Square Garden, had a triple double, obviously, and played a ton of minutes. So, I just think it's matchup dependent. I think it's just game field dependent, and I, I really think Josh is, you know, I, I think it's way, way too early to get down on Josh Giddy right now. But I think the ankle injury was poorly timed. I know he just missed a few games, but that early in the season, when you're a second year player. I think that can throw off your rhythm. And not only that, but we've mentioned this a lot. He didn't get to play with Shea a ton last year, but that Shea was a different player. Now this Shea is an all-NBA candidate. And, you know, from having the conversation to where, hey, Josh is going to be on the ball more, and now it's like, well, no, he's not, because, like, Shea's doing what he's doing. Josh learning how to play off the ball without being a good three-point shooter. Um I think it's just it's taking time, and I think that's kind of what you're seeing from from Giddy right now. When um, SGA and Giddy are on the floor, Thunder is being outscored by 8.7 points per 100 possession. So that hasn't been a good lineup combination. But at the same time, I think they have to keep going with it because the only way these guys are going to learn to play with each other is to play with each other. Um, so maybe we look back mid to late season. And this was just like a, you know, a blip of when we're talking about, oh, you remember, like, Josh Giddy didn't even, you know, start the second halves. Um, I think it could get turned around, but, like, Dagnall's rotations are crazy. And, and, and I say that in a complimentary way because, like, he's he's just coaching this team like hardly NBA any NBA coaches. 
um, just with this frequency of rotations and not sticking to any one thing. Um, but yeah, I, I have no idea how it's going to go. Yeah, his rotations are beyond fluid. I don't know what element they are, but they're not fluid or liquid or anything like that. It's something far past that. But you mentioned it, and I think you're right. I was um, probably a little bit carried away saying problematic. I don't think that's probably it. It is concerning, as you were mentioning earlier. But, I mean, they go on a 35-20 to 20 run into the third quarter, and you mentioned um, about him missing some time. It's not just that. Uh, they didn't play a lot last year, like you mentioned. And then the entire preseason, Shea doesn't play as he had some um, he had a knee issue. Obviously, they get some pickup games over the summer. They play in training camp, and then they have like one game where they both play together in Minnesota. And then Shea's hurt with a hip thing, and then Giddy's out, and then now they're uh, Giddy's being he's coming back in to play with Shea after an ankle injury, and Shea's playing at just like an incredible level. So it's got to be very awkward to try to fit these pieces together, especially when these guys haven't. I mean, they just haven't played together all that much. Yeah, and I think it's Josh is a very confident guy, but he's still so young. And like, you know, Shea is what five years older than than he is. Um, I think four. Four. Shea Shea's the guy, and you know everyone knows that. And you know you're coming in as the number six pick from two years ago, trying to establish your place as well. And like it's a good problem for the Thunder to have, but I can imagine that, you know, it's it's a little difficult right now for Josh, and that's showing he has not played very well this season. Sure, there's been some um, great moments like what he did at Madison Square Garden, um, but it, it's it's still early. If we're having the same conversation in February, March, then maybe it's. Maybe maybe it's problematic then, but I, I don't think it is quite yet. I agree, and as I brought up with Shea, you know, is this a hot stretch? Is this a cold stretch? And if we're still talking about it in, in February, it's not just a cold stretch, but right now we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, and hopefully he can step up his gameplay. But, yeah, um, I think that's fair. Yep, and then um, the big news with Shea, he is now, Joe, a 90 overall for the first time in his career in NBA 2K. That's how you know you made it. Oh, that's uh, that's pretty big. I don't think Shea's a big 2K guy, but um, if he was, I, I might ask him about that. Maybe I should ask anyway, but yeah, I don't, I don't think he's a big gamer. I think Josh and JRE said they both play a lot of 2K, so maybe ask them, but that would be a lot of fun. I don't, I don't think Shea is. I think he goes to museums in his off time or something like that, goes to art exhibits. He goes to fashion shows. That sounds about right. But um, speaking of Shea, no ceiling Shea, you know, what does SGA turning into a superstar mean for this franchise and its current rebuild? Because I think this is just enormous for this team going forward. It is enormous. I mean, the whole point of a rebuild is to collect star talent and to collect superstar talent, at least one. And obviously the definition of this is squishy. I, I think he has on that superstar level right now. Now, can he sustain that? Who knows? We'll, we'll find out. But this is such an encouraging development um, for the Thunder. This is a team that I picked to win 28 games. They're on pace to soar past that. I'm not saying they will. I think they'll still be you know, below 500, but I think they'll probably be somewhere north of 30 wins when all is said and done. I mean, their underlying numbers point to them being, I mean, they have a positive point differential. Um, just barely, but r- right now they do. So, um, 
that's that's all to say like you don't need to worry as much about the lottery or getting lucky and yeah if this team was struggling then next year's draft is is looking extremely important and it's still important like they want to find i i think they're going to be in the lottery and they they want to find a a key guy there and you still give yourself a chance to um maybe get get really really lucky and, and move up but some of the pressure is just taken off when you have a guy like shay um and then you just hope that chet is who you think he was when you drafted him um and then that's a great i mean he was drafted as like a 1a option basically but if he could be the 1b or the two next to shay and then you have giddy we've talked about the struggles but i i really think he could still be a core piece of this um, franchise, and then you're looking at other guy, young guys that could pop. We've seen Poku pop a little this season. Obviously, there's a ways to go, um, but you know they have something invested in him, in J Dub, in Usman Jang, um, who's still very far off. But like at, at this point, um, Shea developing into this just just removes kind of a a scary cloud over this whole rebuilding process because like there's always that fear of like, okay, what if you know, talking as if it's the Thunder front office, like, what if we go through this and, you know, get unlucky like two years ago when they drafted six? Now they got Chet, but what if they get unlucky again and Shea is like borderline all-star? Then you're kind of looking around thinking like, man, like this is a tough spot. Um, but now the the spot, the, the path is much more clear, I think now. Yeah, I think Dark Cloud, that's a good way to put it. Just a giant sigh of relief the Thunder fans can take of knowing you have a tentpole guy who can build everything around as a superstar. And he's just so malleable and such a yeah. great player. I'm I'm very excited. And you mentioned Chet and Giddy as those guys that fit around him. But you got the biggest piece of the puzzle already. So that should really help your rebuild. Yeah, exactly. And you got your, like premier lottery pick in Chet and hope that he's healthy. And, um, but yeah, it all starts with Shea. He's the engine behind this whole thing. I don't think they knew that he was going to be the engine behind it even last season, but like the jump he made this summer and the jump he's made this season and you want your best player, um, to, to be a guy that can create and have the ball in his hands. It's just so much easier to build a team, uh, around a guy like that who is also unselfish, willing to play defense now, as we've seen this season, has length at 6'6". Um, we've talked about the Giddy fit. I mean, Giddy, Giddy is definitely a hard fit, but that's more so that he's a unique player. I think overall, Shea is pretty easy um, to, uh, to put pieces around. I agree. And as much as you've seen the positive uh, discourse with Shea, I think there's been some negative stuff too that has just been dumb that I wanted to talk about where people have talked about, well, he's been this good the whole time. If the Thunder didn't hold him back and you know weren't trying to maximize their draft assets, he would have been this guy the whole time, which is just so dumb. You look at like the whole reason that they go into this rebuild and tank is so you can get guys like Chet and Giddy to pair with him so you can have a great team. I mean, you look at Dallas, they have Luka, but he was so good so fast and they pushed all their chips in the middle that they have no real second star and they've been searching for that every single year, whether it was Porzingis or Jalen Brunson, and they still can't find anybody. Or you look at the Wizards who are drafting 8 to 13th every single year. It's just hard to get talent that way. The easiest way to get talent 
is to draft high in the draft, which is Thunder doing, and maximizing their draft odds. And I think that's putting Shea in a very, very good position for his future going forward. Yeah. And not all these stars are created equal, right? Like, I mean, Luca is on an entirely different level than Shea, but like you knew right away he was going to be that franchise guy. With Shea, it's kind of like snuck up on all of us because it has been this incremental improvement. So to say that, I mean, it's just such a stupid argument to say that he's always been this guy. He wasn't this guy two years ago. Like, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm a little dumbfounded by that discourse. I think a lot of people aren't really paying attention and that's fine. Um, it's, you, you can't, you can't monitor what's going on with, with every team in the league. But um, I think you've been, if you've been paying attention and you have seen Shea develop, but it's not like they were just like sitting this all NBA type player and something else I'll say on that, like say what you want about the injuries he tore his plantar fascia um, two seasons ago, so severe that he did not play for Canada that summer. And we saw this last summer how much he wanted to play for Team Canada. Last year with the ankle thing, I don't claim to know anything on that. Um, but I think Shea has proven that he's a guy that, that wants to play. I don't think we're going to see anything like that if he's healthy this season um, just because he's – I mean, he's on a different level. But – yeah, it's the, the uh, I mean, I think the Thunder would have operated then. I mean, maybe they don't actually change all that much when I think about it, but it's like we're, we're the ones that have been watching this team, right? And we weren't saying two seasons ago that Shea is a superstar, so it's just a little ridiculous. Well, even Shea, if you asked him, are you playing that much better now compared to then? Would you say you're at the same level? He would laugh at you because it's he talks about improving every single summer. He is not the same player that he was two years ago. He is much, much better. And then one thing I wanted to ask you about, and let me temper this and say it in the right way so I don't get yelled at on Twitter about things, but in the Superstars past, the Thunder have had Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, obviously, Paul George for a stint. I think that Shea is not the most talented of all those guys, but I think he has the best personality and mental makeup to be the face of the franchise and star of this team that may be the Thunder have ever had. Oh, boy. Um, that, one's, that one's tricky just because... Like Durant, from a playing style... I mean, everyone talks about this. Like He's, he's like the easiest guy to play for because he can fit anywhere. But from a personality standpoint... I mean, no one questioned, I don't think anyone questioned Kevin Durant's personality for much of his stint in OKC, and then things went a little haywire. Um, after that, I also think a lot of this has to do with the Thunder's PR team having a pretty tight hold on things and, and controlling the message, which is their job, and they do it well. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't pretend... I mean, I'm like traveling on the road, not with the team, but um, to to the different stops around the guys a lot. I don't claim to know any of them on like a personal level. So knowing their, I mean, acquaintances, like, you know, you, you say hello, you, you can, you know, have small talk, small talk, chit chat, whatever you want. Um, but I, I guess what I'm saying is like, 
let's not pretend we know anyone on a uh, on that deep of a level to see like how their personality is going to be as the face of the franchise. I will say Shay is like a super nice, just like pleasant, outgoing, easy to talk to guy. There are like zero red flags whatsoever. Um, obviously that we could see with some other guys' personality. So like, I mean, if I'm looking at it, he's like the ideal face of a franchise, just the way he carries himself and speaks for the team. And um, yeah, he's, he's got it all, but like, could that change in two years? Sure. It could like people, people change. So I I don't mean to go all like philosophical here, but um, we don't, we don't really like know these guys in and out their personalities and everything no i'm glad you brought that up it's important the conversation i mean obviously we don't know these guys on a personal basis a lot of it is inferring and i probably jumped the gun on it a little bit but just seeing how he interacts with his teammates and what you hear about him as a leader and just being easygoing it seems like a nice fit and like you mentioned people change just as much as he's changed as a player he can change as a person the next few years people thought they really knew and had a good hold of durant and then he left and then things as you said got a little bit fuzzy and uh, change a little bit so things can change but should be exciting going forward with SGA as a franchise guy I don't think Shea has any burners um at least I'd be very surprised um and and yeah I didn't I I didn't mean to uh to to be to be the downer there at all because like I think the Thunder couldn't be in a better spot than they are with Shay as that guy, the vibes, the vibes around the team are very, very good. Um, they all just gravitate toward him and, and he to them. So it, it's all right now, a plus a plus all around on, on that front. For sure. And then I wanted to ask you about, you know, Shay's standing in the league. You mentioned earlier, you know, we don't know, maybe he could be a top five guy. He's playing like that right now. I'm not saying he is a top five guy, but just the conversation of, you know, the NBA and basketball, a huge thing is just ranking guys. So I wanted to ask you, you know, Shea is a top what guard in the NBA right now? Or he's a top what shooting guard in the NBA? Oh, boy, Michael. Or I can go, I can go first if you'd rather. Yeah, did you? Uh, I should have. I should have put together my my list. So I want you to go first. So in no particular order, I said he was a top four shooting guard. Uh, you have Luca, Donovan Mitchell, Shea, and Devin Booker. I think are in the cream of the crop guys. And then you have a little bit low, like your Demar Derozan's, your Desmond Baines, your Bradley Beals, and others. But I think that those four guys are pretty high up there and pretty solidified as the most talented shooting guards in the league right now. Is it? Is he even a shooting guard though? That's another great question. That's why I also just put guards. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think the positions, like, I think Luca's a point guard. I mean, this this gets so messy at the end of the year with all NBA voting. Like, Luca's eligible at forward um, and guard. Um, I, don't, I don't think Shea's going to be eligible at forward probably, but, um, yeah, no one knows what positions are. I kind of consider Shea the team's point guard just as their lead operator, um, basically, but um let's just talk guards okay okay and and and, uh help me through this just so i'm not forgetting anyone shea is behind luca Mm -hmm. he's behind curry yes um the uh 
the Booker conversation is so fascinating to me because Booker has certainly accomplished more. I mean, just in these last couple of years, man, I don't want to be, I don't want to be influenced by watching Shay, but like if I had to start a franchise with one of those two guys, I feel like I would pick Shay. And and maybe if I was covering the Suns and seeing Booker every day, I, I would pick him. Um, I think the Mitchell conversation is, is really interesting. Like Donovan Mitchell has been unbelievable this season. I'd probably rather have Shay. Um, Trey, <laughs> I'm going to sound like such a homer. Trey Young, I think I'd rather have Shea. Just I agree. Trey gets picked apart defensively, and it's just harder to build a team around him given his size. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Are we going crazy? I don't think so. I mean, I listed the top seven guards I have right here. Luca, like you mentioned, Luca is his own position. He plays whatever he wants. You can list him whatever. I had a, I talked to a friend. He goes, yeah, Luca's the best uh, one through three in the league. Whatever you want to say he is, if he's the best point guard, he's the best shooting guard, he's the best small forward. And then you have Devin Booker, who we mentioned, Steph Curry. I threw Damian Lillard in there. Maybe it's just some uh, seniority on there. John Morant, Donovan Mitchell, yeah. and Shea. And then yeah, some shout-outs. Morant, to- Morant's the obvious name that I um, was overlooking, which is blasphemy considering that I'm sitting here in Memphis. But, yeah, Morant. Mer- Morant, Doncic, and Curry, to me, are those like clear, inarguable, they have to be above Shea. The rest could go either way, I think. Yeah, and I think it's really um, interesting because we're in such a good spot in the league right now with young guards. You have Cade Cunningham, you have Tyrese Halliburton, you have Tyrese Maxey, you have Trey Young, like you mentioned, uh, Darius Garland, and just lists of these guys on and on and on. And Shea right now looks like one of the four or five best already in what is it year five yeah year five yeah this is his fourth year in oklahoma city man it it's definitely interesting uh i don't know about you but i've really enjoyed watching this team uh what have you thought so far this season compared to maybe seasons last or you just want to maybe can uh, not even compare it to anything just this season in a nutshell well it's been a ton of fun i mean so my first year on the beat before before a virus got in the way was was very fun as well the uh chris paul just like covering chris i mean i I just have such respect for that guy um and you know shay kind of at times being the third piece to that along with dennis schroeder and that three-man lineup that we talked so much about so that team was fun but this is probably the most fun just because we've seen shay from his second season in the NBA being the prize of the Paul George trade, but those picks also being the prize. And like Shea is that, you know, one young player that you're counting on, but if he doesn't work out, you still have all of those picks, right? Um, So we've seen Shea go from that to where he is now. And and just to see the arc of his career only being 24 still, pre-prime age, I mean, you look at like mid to late 20s as a person's physical prime, and just learning the game mentally. And he's not even there yet, and he's doing this right now. So this is this is probably the most fun team I've covered just because you learn something new every night with all of these young guys and, like, you know, not knowing what to expect. Like, I had very little um, idea that they would go into Boston on the second night of a back-to-back and compete like they did. Um, 
the maturity they showed the Shays win in, in Washington and you know almost being a 500 team at this point in the season so it's been it, it has been a lot of fun and then certainly but not least um, tell us about your story that you have coming out later today that you mentioned yeah so I uh, I look at 10 lineup trends uh, lineup numbers combinations two-man lineups three-man lineups on off combinations um, I, I'm, I'm going to quiz you here. Um, I, I'd be very, very impressed if you get to this. I'm excited. The Thunder's best two. The Thunder's best two-man lineup of the season by net rating, minimum. This is all very fuzzy. Minimum fifty minutes played, and it does not include Shea. Oh God! Who do you think the the best two-man lineup is? Two um, let's see here. I'll go with. This is just shooting out of the top of my head. <laughs> Kenrich Williams and Aaron Wiggins. Why not? You went one of two. You went one of two. It's Aaron Wiggins and Trey Mann, actually. Really? Um, Aaron Wiggins, his on-off numbers are just insane. Like, he uh, he's in all the best lineups. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know what to make of that because he's a guy that his playing time fluctuates, but... Yeah, Aaron Wiggins and, and Trey Mann. And I think the best three-man lineup is Shea, Trey, and Wiggins, um, which is interesting because you put another like shot creator out there with Shea, and you can see Wiggins obviously knows what to do, so you can see how the offense would um, flow there. So, the uh, yeah, look out for that piece. Um, just kind of digging inside the numbers we're gonna have tons of stories on shay as he uh keeps doing what he's doing so yeah thanks everyone for following along all or nothing aaron wiggins i think they're undefeated with him in the starting lineup but five and oh five and oh i'll, I'll tell mark that did you are you aware you guys yeah. never lose no it, it, I'm, I'm gonna mark doesn't reveal his starters but before tonight's game i'm gonna ask him i'm not going to do this but in my head i could do this um are you starting Aaron Wiggins tonight? And if not, why? Um, because you're five and zero when he starts. Um, and uh, yeah, that that's that's there, there's no other factors there. It's just like causation. Aaron Wiggins starts, Thunder wins. There's, you, there's, me, Aaron Wiggins, no other... <laughs> and two other guys, and we'll win. <laughs> there's no other variables in this. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Thunder Buddies. We really appreciate it. Rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, follow us both on Twitter for updates, or if Twitter goes down, I'll get you by snail mail or carrier pigeon or whatever it is. But thank you so much for listening, and we will be back on Tuesday.